This like sat on my butt weird. Okay, we have to make a, a pact not to eat into the microphones. Like right we have the uh, Chicago mix caramel and cheese popcorn. What's up, Abby? So this could get a little bit gross. Not banana chip levels, but we were also being a bit crass then. I really don't like calling Abigail Abby. Why not? I just don't like shortening people's names. It feels like not giving them credit. I don't know, like, both of the, or two of the three Olivias that I'm friends with, I would refer to as Liv. I would refer to Abigail as Abby. Like, for the most part, I feel like I would go, I go by a short name if it doesn't modify the beginning, I feel like. If I knew someone named Christina, I don't think I would call them Tina, because that's weird. But if I knew someone called Christina, would I call them Chris? Or if I knew someone named Christopher, would I call him Chris? Well, like... If, very possibly. That well, That's that's a little bit different, I think. But people, like... For for instance, the name Hannah. My girlfriend is Hannah. Shout out. People call... People abbreviate Hannah to, like, Han. No, that's... But that's, that's not just, a real that's short just form. That's gross. <laughs> Why'd you say it like that? <laughs> but that's not a real short form. Okay, <laughs> in Where's the oregano? <laughs> Nobody calls Marinara Mary. <laughs> Mary Nara? Uh, okay. That's, what, that's too much. what have you been doing for like things that we talk about on this show? Um, I've been I uh I've been plowing through the book thief quite a bit more um uh rigorously than I had been probably since the last time we recorded, which was ages ago. Um for music, I just got really heavily back into pop by U2 as an album and I would still hold that it's one of their three best albums that they yeah. ever made by far there is really no fat in that track list what are your top three my top three are Actung Baby Joshua Tree and Pop which are also such a good trio you might I feel That's... like everybody would hate me for this I guess maybe it's fourth I think All You Can't Leave Behind is like such a good album I feel like it would trade blows with maybe pop. For, for me, pop all you can't know. leave behind um, reads, for lack of a better word, more like a like a songbook or like a bunch of, like a collection of songs rather than a collection of ideas or images or something like that. I guess pop has a really good a really good central concept and a tenant running through it. So does Ak Chung Baby in terms of like. The revolutionary and like industrial, and Joshua Tree is that kind of pilgrimage thing going on. And I think that those are three really interesting tent poles in the band's catalog. That's I think good. they're fantastic. So I've been listening to that. I uh, was listening to The National for a while as well, and Leonard Cohen. Um, I'm your man. We've been watching, continuing to watch movies with Abigail, of course, our young protege. Um, the latest one was Mad Max Fury Road, which went down as well as you could expect. That movie, really, like, seriously, I could pretty much watch it any day. I feel like I could watch that movie, 
like once every three months for like literally the next 10 years and you'd be like yeah fine cool yeah i'll sit and watch the whole thing through like it's astonishing how not tired of it i I am can you fix my copy of the crying of lot 49 on that middle shelf oh see how it's tilted out can you please pop that back in you haven't even read any of those have you no dude i'm trying to get through the book thief dude then I really want to get through Infinite Jest. Um, and then I'm planning on moving on to Thomas Pynchon. I've never acquired frogs, though, so you got me there. Although, I would also like to um, to read some of those Hemingways. There's a really interesting thing, too, um, if Abigail's listening. So I, I don't mean to, you know, just keep bringing up Abigail, but she's really our listener. Whatever happened to Ben? I know exactly what happened to Ben. Well, I don't know. We don't see him anymore. Maybe I know he's still we don't out there see him anymore. I hope Ben, if you're out there, we really do miss you quite a lot, and you're a nice dude. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um, Faulkner, William Faulkner. You that's also besides the point. You fam- no, it's not. Yeah, I'm talking familiar. about Hemingway. Okay. Yes. Faulkner and Hemingway. I just learned had this massive, massive feud. And it was the weirdest thing because I learned about it um, as a result of, I think, an interview with William Faulkner, and then, uh, and then Thunder Dungeon posted like this, this I know right, posted this uh, what do you call it photo photo album a gallery of like roasts from uh, like classy roasts, but man, some of them are just mean from. Not, like, literary figures, but, like, Thomas Jefferson yeah. and okay. the f- figures from the past. And Hemingway and uh, <laughs> Faulkner battle it out in there several times. It was the weirdest thing, but really interesting. It would be really cool to do a comparison of the two of them since they were contemporaries. And not only contemporaries, contemporary American authors. Yeah. And, like, complete different styles and voices operating in the same time and almost the same literary movement. So I don't know. That is very cool. I don't know. <laughs> um, I have been Sorry. shipping away at the same old things. I have very big, like games slash books, whatever. So I feel like I don't have much new stuff to talk about. Uh, I picked up the pace on Persona Five a little bit for games. I'm like 16 hours in, and if you've played a Persona game, you know that that's probably less than 20 percent. And I'm not getting through it very quickly. So, yeah, I'll be there for a long time. Um. Reading, getting towards the end of the French Lieutenant's Women, still one of the most hot and cold experiences I've ever had with a book. I think the thinking of the book, like thinking about the book in the future will be more enjoyable than reading the book is now, because I think it has a lot of interesting ideas, but kind of falls short in other areas. It's similar to me with like uh, Kurosawa. Yeah, I guess so. I doubt that made it onto the mic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so do we play the theme music now? Um, uh, I think, like, it's been seven minutes. It has been a while. It's been quite a while. Let me see if I can hit it. Who was it? Who was asking, was it, was it Abigail again? Who was asking, inquiring after the theme music? It's just always around us. We just have it on mute most of the time. Yeah, I know. I just reached into the ether. (laughs) 
We're not really talking over this one. That's whatever. Just let it ride. I'm looking at my notes on my phone. Boarding house reach. You're listening to the Good Ship Brothership, the only arts podcast to cover film, music, gaming, literature, and violent screams. I'm Grant, and this is my brother Jason. I'm Jason. Jason, help. Today we are talking about Jack White's uh, March 23rd, 2018 album, Boarding House Reach. And the 2010, I think it's fair to call it like an indie film, Bone Winter. Bone Winter. Winter Bone. Winter Bone? Winter Bone? Winter's Bone. (laughs) And my note says Bone Winter. (laughs) Oh no. Today we are talking about the 2018 album by Jack White, Boarding House Reach, and the 2010, I think it's fair to call it an indie film, Winter's Bone. yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll just flip the puppet and get wow. into it. Um, I think, obviously, Face Down would be Winter's Bone. I think Face Down is is no. uh, is Jack White. I think Winter's Bone is more a film of being knocked onto your back. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I feel strongly about that. And I'll, oh, Winter's Bone. Bone Winter. So this is this t- just to preface. <laughs> My whole note say Bone Winter like again and again. What is wrong with you? Who know. would call a film Bone Winter? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so uh, we were we were obviously caught a little short for this episode, which is quite disturbing, in my opinion, because we have enough free time. These shows don't take much time to cobble together. No. And we can't even make the bi-weekly thing. Doesn't that depress you? Uh, maybe so. Like, my goal is to... We've, we've been quite busy. I mean, yeah. Like, we've been quite busy. We had no internet, or I had no internet, Friday, most of the day, and then we were without it a couple hours again. We've been busy. I've been working, schooling. I proctored at the university. You've been working, sleeping, whatever. Not much of that. Um... So yeah, but here we are. We're going to be anyway, two, probably three days we're late. We're caught short a little bit, and so we trolled through Netflix. Speaking of which, I need to find a suggestion for our central... Um, Gabber-jabber? Yes, the Gabber-jabber. I think I got one. I, I have one as well. There it is. Um, Continue. Sorry, I just wanted to open that up so I could see it. Understandable. So we kind of uh, looked through Netflix in an attempt to find uh, something that we could talk about on the show, and we settled on Winter's Bone because it's, I think partially why it felt right was because it's terrible here where we live. Yeah. We, we've just endured two straight days of pretty much nonstop freezing rain. The snow, like if, you everybody's it, just... if you could call it that outside, is like cement. Like drifts of cement, I I weigh you know probably roughly 150 pounds if I was being generous and had eaten a large meal and was hydrated. 
And when I walk on this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, there are no marks left behind. That's how hard it is. So it's disgusting out, and uh, I think the winter title kind of appealed to us as well. But the main thing is that it's Jennifer Lawrence's breakout uh, starring role, star-making role in a lot of ways. And both you and I, Jason, have somewhat of a distrust for the acclaim that Jennifer Lawrence has massively had bestowed upon her. I find her her off-camera persona to be somewhat irritating and obnoxious. I don't think she's that good-looking. She looks kind of like a uh, like a like a porcelain doll, which is not something I would hold against her specifically in terms. Of I, I'm just saying she doesn't have an interesting face. She's she's like Ben Affleck to me in that I see her in a movie and I don't go you know oh there's this character or that character I go hello Jennifer Lawrence. But Ben Affleck had some really interesting performances in his earlier days. True. So I guess what we were wondering is was there a time when Jennifer Lawrence could be a compelling person, like a compelling on-screen presence. Yeah, and I'm not... Uh, also, I should say, I don't think she's a bad actress. No. I have notes all about this in my review, too. You oh, want me to go first? And then we can... uh, sure. Why not? We'll just funnel uh, into it. Winter's Bone is a 2010 America drama film directed by Deborah Granick. I didn't know it was directed by a woman. Not that that... Here's the thing. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have even acknowledged that. I should have just gone, oh, Deborah. Nice. There aren't many really female directors, though. There's not. It's. I mean, it's... And I could be one of those people who goes, Oh, it's so sad. And maybe it is. It's but nice then you got people like Deborah Granick, who have made uh, this this critically famous... Anyway. And adapted by Granick and Anne uh, Rossellini from the 2006 novel of the same name by Daniel Woodrell. The film stars Jennifer Lawrence as a teenage girl in the rural Ozarks of Missouri who... Well, that's a long so, To protect her family from eviction must locate her missing father. The film explores inter, interrelated themes of close and distant family ties, the power and speed of gossip, self-sufficiency, and poverty as they are changed by the persuasive... Pervasive? Under, per, oh, I can't... I was writing my notes. I couldn't read... Okay. The film explores the interrelated themes of close and distant family ties, the power and speed of gossip, self-sufficiency and poverty as they are cha- changed by the pervasive underworld of illegal methamphetamine labs. Winter's Bone won several awards, including the Grand Jury Prize for Dramatic Film at the 2010 Sundance Film Festival. It also received four 2011 Academy Award nominations, Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actress for Lawrence, and Best Supporting Actor for John Hawks, who I believe plays uh, Teardrop. Yeah. So, let it rip. Yeah. So, as we said, and as I believe, Jennifer Lawrence is super overrated. It's not, like, she's really not a bad actor by any stretch, but I think she's not super convincing. I don't think she has a great range. And she's one of those people where 95% of the time her only expression is, like, this somber apathy that's just, like... I'm sad, a little depressed. smooth-faced apathy. Yeah. Um, Like if Liv Tyler was a decent actor. Just, let's not even go there. Um, So, Winter's Bone really did appeal to me, um, in addition to the reasons that we already listed, it was made on this tiny $2 million budget, and we've been on a little bit of like a an indie film binge recently or i guess maybe we've just started exploring them a little bit more 
we've had Ghost Story. We recently rewatched on our own time Embrace the Serpent. Nightcrawler. Uh, Nightcrawler. A Field in England. Budget. Also super low budget. So it's kind of fun to watch a few of these really low budget films in close proximity and see how they compare in terms of like scope and how well they hide like their humble roots, I guess. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> oh. It's just cool to see where the money goes. Yeah, exactly. When there's so little. Um, and obviously this exact movie could definitely not be made today because of the tiny budget um, and it's starring Jennifer Lawrence. We were saying now, you said, you're like, well, I think she's been in some smaller budget films, but the lowest budget one I could see that she's been in recently was like $30 million, which is a totally different ballpark, but that, obviously. But still yeah. small budget. But one fifteenth. Okay, so what did I think? Um, well, my first impression was that the movie is shot very nicely. I didn't find the compositions breathtaking in terms of awesome framing. That's my phone disconnecting. Um, but I thought that the color balance was really interesting. I think it really fit with the movie tonally. It's all these muted, um, smooth blues and grays and cool yellows. And stuff like that. The entire film, I think it's like overcast and gray outside. Um, and it really puts this oppressive atmosphere in the film as it should. But it's still also beautiful. It doesn't come across as dull. Um, and that's in really interesting contrast to the set, the scene. So it takes place in super rural America. What could like disrespectfully be called trailer trash kind of thing. Um, but I thought the scenes were absolutely fabulous. I don't know who's in charge of set design, but it came across as authentic, and uh, there was a ton of background interest, even if there wasn't much movement in the shots. And in a way, I think that maybe the most interesting character in the film was actually the setting. Now i got to look down at my notes because I got too off topic. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, how did she do? I thought she was pretty good maybe a little bit better than i expected she was a pretty good parent character in the movie she's looking after her two younger siblings who are 12 and 6 and she's 17 but she didn't have any element of like this struggling teen like this broken down young woman and she didn't seem even like a supremely capable teenager she just seemed basically like somebody in her mid-20s um and, I mean, we've seen this before in things like uh, No Country for Old Men, where the cast and character just seems way older than they should be. And it's not a deal-breaker, especially since I haven't read the book. But it just seems a little bit inconsistent when they ask her, how old are you? And she's like, I'm 17. It's like, no, you're not. Um, it, don't but, you think that's kind of the point? But she doesn't even seem like this person who's been aged, like who has this accelerated maturity. She just seems like she's 25. Like, she doesn't seem um, tired or world-weary or anything like that. She just seems like she's way older than she is. Her friend, her, like, best friend is married, which, I mean, I know people have friends who are older than them, but it also made her feel older that everybody she's around is old. But, like, these could be things that were intentionally thought of and put into the story, but to me, it kind of robbed it of some authenticity. That said, there are bigger complaints. First of all, the plot is super simple. Like, if you read the plot all the way through on Wikipedia, it's just a couple paragraphs, very straightforward. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with a simple plot. However, the film, 
to me at least, really did struggle to convey even easy-to-understand plot points, such as, like, who are these characters? Where did this character go? Why are we going here? I don't know if the dialogue was muttery and I just missed things that characters were saying. I don't think so. But things that should have been really easy to understand, I found confusing. And to me, it was as though the director had tried show, don't tell, but they didn't really show, so it just ended up being don't tell. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to hear if you found that, too. But for me, there were a couple times when I ended up being confused and kind of got pulled out of the experience because I'm like, what's happening? Where are they going? (sighs) Additionally, I feel like the story arc was weird and not fabulous. I think... It would have been a lot better in a book, just because, in general, by and large, a slower-paced narrative works better over a book because you have more time to grow with the characters. But it kind of peaked early narratively, I thought, and then spent a long time tapering off to not a satisfying payoff, and it felt like there were a couple very big questions that were left unanswered kind of as an oversight. Um, And I'm sorry if I'm being super vague, because I know I am, but I don't want to spoil the story. Um, But with all this being said, I think maybe I'm being a little bit too hard on it, even though I'd stand by what I say. The visuals were interesting, the setting was fabulous, and by and large, I found the story to be an enjoyable ride. It's a small-scale adventure, one of those things that doesn't have all these massive action sequences, and I kind of enjoyed that, a little bit like Nightcrawler. It's kind of fun to follow this small cast of characters around in lives that are exciting but not super impactful on a larger scale and for that i feel like the film was somewhat successful like i would give it around a six and a half out of ten um so i would say unless you have like trouble concentrating on a slower narrative it's worth a watch but it's not like there aren't 200 movies on netflix you should watch before this one that's all um, it, just to kind of dovetail off what you were saying towards the end of your review there, and a thought kind of popped in my brain about um, narratives making sense or not making sense, mm-hmm. and how you can make that work. I think in order to remain immersed in a film where you don't know what's happening, the viewer must experience total sympathy with the protagonist. Yeah. And if the... You better not be getting, like, corn dust on that book. Okay. And I think that if you can't experience complete... If you're not right in that character's head, looking out, going, Oh my goodness, what's going on? Then you kind of float away and detach. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing... You know, the film has become a flat wall. There's nothing for you to grip onto. And it's not that you are looking for a way out. Or anything like that. It's that you're, um, you just there's no purchase for your, for your interest. Um, I I thought that this movie moved along at a pretty nice pace. Actually, it was kind of a, it is very sedate. Um, as you mentioned, really excellent sets. There's no so way. So good. Best part of the movie by far. There's no way that these were completely engineered, because you and I, I mean, we do live in the country. But more more than that, we've seen rural Ontario, at least, Canada, which is similar as a setting to, to this. 
and just the, you know, you go onto somebody's property and there are stacks of gutted cars, there's paint peeling off sheds and fences, there are couches, overstuffed floral pattern couches that are couches laying where on there the aren't porch. Couches, <laughs> yeah. So and weird thing, you know, tires and uh, like an old fridge chucked somewhere. Um, those kinds of things are really hard to manufacture. And for me, as somebody who has actually seen that, and uh, I'm not trying to make it sound like like the slums or anything, but that's that's really what it looks like. It's extremely authentic. It completely rang true on most levels, I think, to me. Uh, and uh, And that really did help the movie along, and it gave it a sense of place. One of the things, though that bothered me a little bit about the film was that I was there is no this film lacks a a sense of journey to me either physical or emotional Mm -hmm. and uh, the only thing that that really could be considered a journey or a narrative arc would be the relationship between Re, uh, the Jennifer Lawrence character, and Teardrop, the uh, John Hawks character. And that relationship and how it develops is really the only journey that we see in the film. And it's not even, it's not that complex. Focused on, and it's not complex, and it's not really hard to see coming either. Uh, the, uh, there was some, a weird thing happened to me. Right away in the movie, too, as Jennifer Lawrence's character is walking through the woods, I'm thinking about our woods that we have out back of our house. And a strange thing started to bug me. And I can feel you uh, getting ready to react to this, and I have no idea what you're going to... The Foley work. Her footstep... The the sound of her footsteps. I'm looking at the ground and going, dead leaves don't sound like that. There's gravel in there. Why is she walking on gravel in the middle of a forest? I never noticed and that. And I, it, it, for the entire movie, I was plagued by these unrealistically loud footsteps through everything. I never noticed it at all. <laughs> I was sitting there going like, why? Why have they done this? I understand the practicality of Foley work. I understand that it's used in like every single movie. But for the most part, I just don't notice it. And maybe it was because the environment, the visuals were so grounded that just that little bit of fiction in the uh, in the Foley work really stood out to me and really bothered me. Uh, it didn't ruin the film for me by any uh, by any chance, um, but it, it was one of those strange things that definitely uh, definitely showed a, a crack sort of thing, or maybe the low budget. And some of those other things, I thought there was some wooden acting from some of the supporting cast i was really surprised that cheryl lee of uh um twin peaks was in as like a very minor bit role Mm -hmm. and she's a fantastic actress i think she would have been way better as the mother in the movie than the actual lady who played the mother who's you know basically a cameo as well and i sometimes jennifer lawrence's accent slipped to, to my ear which, you know, I mean, that happens, and that's she was young and, and an experienced actress as well. And none of those things really ruined it for me. So now that I've got the negatives out of the way, I'll attempt to kind of soldier on into positives. This is a film of, of restraint. 
it's a film of like opaque secrets, veiled threats, um, family bonds and family feuds. And uh, I did also relate to the um, redneck honor kind of thing and the it's it's a film that does the community does feel real uh-huh and yeah. you do believe that these are all people who know each other and uh are gossiping about each other and i will give the film massive plaudits for that the the characters individually were not hugely strong but together but together i think there was something really special there and i never for one moment um didn't believe that they were uh, coexisting kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, hold on one second while I gather my thoughts. I was really bad for that, this review, too. I feel like normally I try and flow through. Today I was like, oh. Well, we just haven't yeah. had much time to yeah. process. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence has a tough field to plow in terms of playing a strong character who also needs that kind of human vulnerability uh, to her, um, <clears throat> and for the most part, she does do I think a pretty good job. The her performance was decent. I didn't watch it and go like, mm-hmm. "Wow, she is like the she, she's the next thing." Me neither. Uh, I think that she looks a little too glamorous for the setting, which is a classic Hollywood mistake. Just watch Lost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It's like the worst case of that in history. You know, her hair's a little too nice, her teeth are a little too straight, her skin's a little too clear to be who she's, you know, pretending to be, this malnourished, impoverished redneck, you know, on the cusp of starvation, basically. So there are moments there where I, I didn't believe in, in her character. Can I jump in for a second? Yes. I just want to throw this out there, because this is the one big question that I can say that's not a spoiler. The whole movie, maybe you can help me out here. I was like, why does she not just get a job? There's probably no work. It's a very weird... Like, everybody everybody in the area seems to be a criminal. I guess, but the whole movie, I was like... Her brother is really old enough to look after the other two while she's like out at work. Why does she not just get a job to support the family? Instead of, like, frying squirrels. And then she tries to... uh, the weird subplot about joining the army, Mm -hmm. which I found kind of strange. Not that that's, like... I'd I'd imagine in the the novel that's something that's more... Thoroughly explored. Carved out, but in the film it was a little bit of a strange aside. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it it is... there There are significant vulnerabilities in the film when you actually... When you actually stop and and look at it, and uh, it, it in terms of plot, it does have an incredibly simple plot. Yeah. She's looking for her father. That's the entire plot of the movie. Um, and uh, where where did I write this down? I'm so sorry, everybody. I'm just like a bumbling fool right now. While we wait, can I offer you an apricot? Uh, sure. Here it is. Here it is. The, the The film attempts to be set in a quiet, calloused rage of these rural criminals, right? Uh, it, it's a setting where, what? 
Oh, you're just trying not to make noise. And I've just paused so that you can make noise. It's a setting where everybody knows everybody and nobody knows anything. Yeah. And I felt that that only worked up into a point, and then it tipped me backward into some frustration. And the frustration, I wasn't submerged. Hey, have you seen my father? No. Okay. Yeah, Next have person. you seen my father? No. Oh, Have okay. you seen my father? Yes. Okay, where is he? No. You know, it's... Yeah, and that did that did begin to frustrate me. It did not wreck the film for me. I still think that this this is absolutely a movie that's worth a watch, especially if I would actually say if if you've watched Ozark, the um, Netflix special, which watch uh, that. it was okay. It's like it's it's Breaking Bad. Excuse me, it's Breaking Bad in the Ozarks, basically, mm. and Breaking Bad's wildly superior as a TV show and in every other way as well. But anyway, it is kind of reminiscent of Ozark and the uh, trailer trash characters that are also in it. Uh, Or if you are a fan of Jennifer Lawrence, I would say that this is probably worth worth a watch. She is good in this. She's not amazing. Uh, I didn't think anybody was amazing. But then again, it's very hard to connect with characters who are holding up these thick wooden facades all the mm-hmm. time just by virtue of who they are and what their background is and what the environment that they inhabit is. So That's fair. It's a good movie. However, you know, I don't understand the huge amounts of crit- I don't understand a best best picture nomination for that. Mm-mm. Was 2010 a quiet year or something? That's I mean, it's totally my review if it sounded negative, it wasn't supposed to, but it's just good at best. Yeah. Which it's is definitely fun. good. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall we move on? Yes. Am I doing boarding history? Yes. Um how do we <laughs> I, I can't always forget how we stagger these. I think I do it now. We should rethink it after this, though. Sure. If we need to. I don't know if we need to. Okay. Boarding House Reach. Maybe... How about this? I'll decide this right now. I'll do it first, but I'm going to do a lighter review so that you don't have to, like, skip as much stuff. Like, I'll try to make it quicker. I don't care. Do you want me to read the thing? Sure. (gasps) Oh, wait. Good call. Wow. That was a close one, folks. That was real close. Let me see if it's... <laughs> hey, everybody. The it's the Gabber Jabber. This is your weekly recommendation for a Netflix film only on Canadian Netflix as far as as far as far I'm, you know, aware. I, this is not a, not, you know, a guarantee that this will be on your Netflix if you're in France. the United States of America, France, Samoa, etc., etc., but the film that I'm going to uh, recommend is... It's not one of the best movies I've ever seen, but it was certainly cool. It was real cool. And it's short at an hour and a half, and it is entitled Moon. And it is directed, I believe, Duncan Jones. by Duncan Jones, son of... Uh, you may have heard of him, David Bowie, and uh, starring Sam Rockwell. And it's really, really interesting. It's... As you can see, just from some of these screenshots, Jason, I'm sure, it really borrows from like 2001. In some cases, it's one man who's stationed on the moon in in a future where the 
the sun reflecting off of the moon is being harvested, the solar energy, and it is then shot back down to Earth in these capsules. And Sam Rockwell plays the the man who's stationed up there all by himself. He's kind of going stir-crazy, but he's holding on to hope because he's about to go see his family again. And it kind of uh, unravels from there. If you liked The Martian, if you like sci-fi in general... The Martian was really good. Yeah. Well, if you like you know any of those things, I would totally recommend this for a watch. It's a really cool sci-fi movie. Um, again, also very low budget, but really imaginative and very, very fun. And uh, yeah. Very well. Moon. Do you want to outro this segment? Uh, yeah. Okay. We're back. <laughs> now we're on um, the boarding house reach, Jason. Why don't you stop recording? What? I said... What? Anyways, we're okay. back here with the Good Chip Brothership. Yeah, we've been having, like, a power outage thing, so... We just wanted to stop and save halfway through just to make sure we would have something to give the good people if uh, the Lord's wrath were to strike us uh, electricity-less. Okay, on to Boarding House Reach, the fairly new album by Mr. Jack White, formerly of the White Stripes and uh, Raconteurs and, you know, man of... Or if you're one of our viewers in France, Jacques Blanc. (laughs) Boarding House Reach is the third studio album by American rock musician Jack White. It was released on March 23, 2018 through Third Man Columbia and XL. His first solo studio album in nearly four years. Can you I believe? Know, I remember when Lazaretto came I out. I was your age when Lazaretto came out. That's nearly. Weird. That is so weird. Following Lazaretto in 2014. Connected by Love and Respect Commander were released together as the album's lead single. Singles, surely. On January 10th, 2018, with Over and Over and Over following up as the second single on March 1st. Corporation and Ice Station Zero were also released as promotional singles. Boarding House Reach peaked at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200, making it White's third number one album on that three. chart. That's weird, because that's like over half or around half the album released as singles before the album. Seems like a lot, but I don't know. No, lots of bands do that. Oh, for okay, stupid reason. So, before I begin, I should say my perspective reviewing this album is mostly as a jack white fan meaning i'm not by any stretch ignorant about the white stripes or even the raccoon tours but probably 80 percent of the jack white music i've listened to is his solo career post white stripes so that's mostly my background going into it um so i think that jack white is (laughs) you can say what you want about him but he's definitely an interesting musician in his solo career, as you just said, he produced three albums, counting this one. And I think each one of them has very, very strong merits, but each one of them has fallen short in crucial areas. Um, I know Blunderbuss and Lazaretto, his first two solo albums, are albums that I do come back to from time to time and I do enjoy. But there are tracks that I skip or there are parts that I go, eh. And he really, in his solo career, hasn't put out a doozy of an album. And I don't think that this uh, changed anything there. However, this time around, I feel like the strengths are stronger and the weaknesses are a bit weaker. And I would put this on par, if not slightly above, his other solo albums. Um, 
in the past, Jack White, as basically everybody knows, has always staked his personality on this really retro-influenced music that he makes with simple tools. Or, he's a real grave digger. He's a real grave digger. <laughs> and he talks about, like, there's that video of him at the beginning of It Might Get Loud, which is a great music documentary, um, where he makes a guitar by, like, putting a nail in a board and then, or two nails in a board and then putting a string between it and he's all like, it sounds like garbage. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> um, and I think that view has always held him back just a little bit because I think it stopped him from doing a lot of new stuff. Not that he's been a copier because he really hasn't been. But much of his career is sort of a remix of things that it's have already been him happened. And him almost more as a curator than a creator. Yeah. Um, oh man, can somebody please that's good. quote that and put that on somebody, something? Somebody clip that. Shut up. So with Boarding House Reach, <laughs> I feel like one advantage Jack White had is I think he was way less stuck in the past this time. However, I think... I feel like I say however a lot or whatever. That's fine. Wherefore. Wherefore. Um, it doesn't have the same usage as however. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I think that for this album, Jack struck a really nice balance between keeping his roots and also branching out a bit. Those are two tree analogies. <laughs> I heard him say that... Uh, and he splices his yeah. new influences as well. <laughs> Let's taste the fruit. <laughs> I feel like he leaves behind some of things that, <laughs> that have held him back. <laughs> but all in all, I can't see the forest for the trees. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. You really lost it, the whole leaf thing. <laughs> it was good. It was a nice one. Uh, okay, what was I saying? So, I uh, <laughs> read an article where they talked about Jack uh, setting up, I think, in Tennessee or something, and recording all these demos on that reel-to-reel machine that he infamously bought when he was 14. Maybe it was on here. In March of 2017, in an interview with The New Yorker, White revealed that he was in the process of writing new music. Yeah. He had set up, in a, set up shop in a small apartment in Nashville where he recorded on a reel-to-reel tape recorder, which he purchased when he was 14, of course. His goal was to try and write songs where I can't be heard by the next-door neighbor, and I want to write like Michael Jackson would write. Instead of writing parts on the instruments or humming melodies, you think of them to do everything in my head and do it in silence and only use one room. That's <sighs> weird. That's good. Um, so all that said... I feel like he managed to maintain his integrity as a curator, like you said, but also look to the future a little bit. That said, however, <laughs> I think that kind of bit him, turned around and bit him, as we'll see later. Um, I think that the guitar work is still fantastic on this album. I think there are a lot of moments of brilliance. In terms of the tone, he still has that very distinct Jack White, broken up, distorted, but I don't think it's to a fault. I don't think that it's so samey that it's like token Jack White. I think Is the that per- like the Rastafarian version of Jack White? <laughs> token Jack White. I get it. Um, I don't know what you thought about the other instrumentation. I thought the percussion was actually really interesting. There's a lot of classic drums, which is cool, 
but they mixed in bongos in a way that I thought was um, fun and interesting and engaging and really actually added to the music. The drums are also better mixed and produced on this album mm-hmm. than I think especially Lazaretto. In Lazaretto, I thought the drums were pretty like anemic sounding yeah. and kind of thin. And in this album, they, they're back with that, like muscular sound that I wished that Lazaretto's drums had had. So <clears throat> I guess where are the stumbles? So do you know, do you know what Boarding House Reach means? It sounds like a children's film. Where are the stumbles? Okay, do you know what Boarding Sorry. House Reach means? No. I googled okay. this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Google. We can't get... We're getting off the rails. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I googled it, Urban Dictionary, it, whatever. A boarding house reach is a term for if you like reach really far across the table to get something. So like, re- like say that I want some uh, spaghetti squash that's like over where mom sits and I'm just like... Yeah, and you scroll yeah. across the table. Yeah. So it's an interesting title when you think that's about it. That's a great title. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, so I think that's, you know, fine and cool. And I don't think the album totally fails as a concept. You could look at it kind of as a concept about humanity's drive for possession and power and how people as a race will stop at nothing to attain selfish goals or to achieve selfish goals. Um, but... I don't know if having to Google it means that it's a bad title or if I'm just ill-informed. But at the end of the day, I still felt like the album lacked a certain focus. I went through the tracks and started to think about uh, thematics. One song is about the objectification of animals. Another is about like the genrefication and artistic comparison in music and in the art world. Um, and then yet another is about like evil corporations, aptly titled corporations. I guess what I'm saying is... It just seems like too broad of a topic for an album. It's like saying you made a concept album about life. And it's like, well, <laughs> it's not really a concept album. That's just is what it is. Is it a concept it. album? I mean, they sure make it sound like it is. But Does he? maybe. Yeah, I was reading some other reviews and uh, interviews and stuff like that. And he talks about how. I guess I'm, I don't know how to put it. You should be looking up reviews and stuff. It's about, like what I said, about humanity's drive to, to grasp their goals. Additionally, I think that some of the tracks on the album are like drony and repetitive and a bit of a slog, and even a little bit derivative in ways that I don't think Jack White ever has been before. Uh, it was kind of funny you were listening to... What was the song you were listening to when I came in? Oh, and, I was listening to um, Get in the Mineshaft. Which I think is actually a pretty good song, but it's super reminiscent of Jamiroquai, which is weird for Jack. I mean, fairly. Jamiroquai is just a representative of a genre, though. Yeah, I guess. Like, I think I think Jamiroquai is like all electrofunk coalesced into one shining ruby. Sure, that's fair enough. (laughs) But I walked into the room when you were listening to it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I love Jamiroquai!" And you just looked up from your notes like a raccoon looking up from the garbage it's eating um and you're like fair you're like do you have binoculars because i guess you're just writing that as i said it um but that complex analogy just to say that it really sounds just like something that could be a jamiroquai's record and i think it clashed with the rest of the record to me even though i like the song in isolation i also think that uh respect commander was really droney and repetitive um and its biggest redeeming feature was that it just made me think of those, like, 
me if respecting women was a sport memes. Um, corporation is kind of a slog. A couple of the tracks. I couldn't find the track with all the screaming on it, but that's Corporation. That is Corporation? Yeah. Um, really just gets irritating towards the end, and I didn't really find it to be musical. Could just be me, but I mean, that's all reviews are. Personal opinions. So at the end of the day, where are we? I think there are certain tracks that are a big standout. Um, Connected by Love is really good. I do think that Get in the Mineshaft is good, even though it sounds like Jamiroquai. I have mixed feelings about that one. And by far the best track is Ice Station Zebra. Like not even that's one of my favorite Jack White songs of all time. Um, has really unique instrumentals. Has a really good writing and an interesting message. Um, and overall, yeah. It, I guess this album. I'll let you talk in one second. What I'm trying to say is that this album could have been a stellar EP. <clears throat> yes? It's uh, interesting that you're talking about derivation in uh, in reference to this album. And uh, Jack White sounding like other artists on it and whatnot. Because one of the things I heard most widespread about this album was that um, Ice Station Zebra sounds exactly like Beck. Well, an, artist, just... an artist who neither of us are really familiar with. Yeah, I know a little bit of Beck, but not as much as I should. So, uh, so maybe I should get into I just Beck. thought I would throw yeah. that out there, because you might lose all respect for this album entirely. If That's you do. true. So overall, I feel, maybe I'm just in a negative mood today. I mean, I, in a good mood, but in a mood to tear things apart. I thought this was a decent album, like I said at the start. Um, maybe... I would recant from saying it's better than his other albums. I would put it around equal with something like Blunderbuss and say that it's maybe like a 7.5 out of 10. It's a very good album if you like this genre of music. I don't even know what does Wikipedia call it. Blues rock. (laughs) That's not true. Yeah, whatever. If you like Jack White, you'll like this album, um, but I don't think it set the world on fire. Okay. Sorry, I got it a little bit scattered there. That's okay. When you questioned me about whether it should be a concept album or not, I was just like, I Whoa. broke you? Yeah. Sorry. I concept people. Concept album machine broken. <laughs> that was Understandable. Have a nice day. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So my initial, my initial uh, impression of this album was brought to me by Connected by Love and Over and Over and Over. And I was just gutted. Because here is Jack White finally doing what I what I was begging him in my mind and my soul to do for years, and that was make another album. <laughs> put down that beat up old plastic acoustic guitar, kick the pedal steel player out of the band, kick the violinist out of the band, kick the upright bassist out of the band. Get rid of all that, you know, thumpy, strummy, bluegrassy stuff, and get back to making raw rock and roll a la the Tours, which is where I think Jack White seriously shines. And is the always, Tours are awesome. He's always been best in a high-energy kind of genre or a setting. Mm. And just his voice sounds better there. He's great at coming up with riffs. <clears throat> And just, he's got this frenetic kind of twitchy, crackling energy. And I thought, oh, here's Jack White completely squandering that on these completely lame 
songs. Connected by Love. Oh my I goodness. I like Connected by Love. So corny. It is so corny. The music video was not Connected. Connected by Love. I don't want to feel rejected. Rejected by your love. By your love. And it's, it's like, not great writing. Oh, the that. writing was so lame and just completely unambitious, instrumentally speaking. And I was, I was almost positive that the album was going to be complete garbage. It's absolutely not. Um, that being said, I'm going to actually do something that I don't normally do just because of paper constraints. You can see I've written quite a bit here, though. And go through a couple tracks and my thoughts on those tracks. So I thought, and it, this is for the most part in running order. Although I do skip over some. Okay. I found Connected by Love to be lame, boring, gnarly and not in a good way. Start to the album that kind of felt a little whack and I uh, <clears throat> I can't get into it. I can't, no matter That's how many times I, I, I listen to it, I the can't The writing is it. not great. Instrumentally, I thought it was interesting. Second track on the album, Why Walk a Dog. It's a good song. I hated it at first. Really? Okay. I thought the lyrics were really kind of like cutesy and boring and stupid and him trying to grab onto this one analogy and like stretch it out for an entire song. And I now think it's one of the better songs it Jack short White. It's like two and a half minutes. Really. I think it's one of the better songs Jack White has written in his solo career. I think it's amazing like neo blues using like the like classic blues imagery of like himself as a dog, you know. Yeah. And like every blues artist has done that. Also, one of his best guitar solos ever. With this super yeah. weird glitched out doesn't revert to going like excessively high pitched and screechy like a lot of his guitar solos have always done. But instead of this weird modulating, sliding, dipping, swooping sound that I I just really, really had fun with. Corporation is a good song. It's a hot jam. I it's, like that song. Okay. I can feel the vibe. The screamy part doesn't go on as long as I as I think you think it does. And I like Jack's like frantic um drumming up support kind of pump up speech that is delivered almost like a solo throughout the latter half of the song. The first half of the song being a complete instrumental with a really funky like sputtery keyboard. That is, I do like that. It's one of those bad things where when you talk about it, like when you're talking about it, I mean specifically. You're sitting there going, oh yeah. I'm sitting there going, that is a pretty good song. And then like half an hour ago, I'm like, not that I hated the song, but I'm like, wow, this gets annoying. Ice Station Zebra is more, or actually I think Hypermesophoniac comes before that. Hypermesophoniac, um... I don't hate it, but I really don't like it. That kind of like cyclical, um, swooping, circling synth really started to irritate me after a while. Do you know the song I'm talking about? Yeah, I think so. Do, 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 do. Yeah. And it's just got this kind of like swooping. Hello. Yeah. Um, so not great. Uh, Ice Station Zebra, <clears throat> definitely more on the classic Jack White side. Uh, as he is now post white stripes 
Um, a pretty good tune, really. Amazing drums when it comes in with the um, <clears throat> tremolo picked part. Yeah. After the intro, really nice, very well produced. This whole album is way more richly textured and uh, colorful than his past few albums. Yeah. Uh, and that is such a... Jack White sounds happy on this, which is so weird. He's seemed miserable, I think, after after the Lazaretto. He just seemed so somber and like drawn into himself. And in interviews, he was saying that he was really tired of making music and he was going to like lock himself away. He did seem weird. Yeah. Like, he seemed like he was in a weird space personally. His hair got shorter. Yeah. Like but seriously though, yeah, like, no. he was he went through a weird and here he is back. He's got like he's his clothes have changed. Yeah. <laughs> like everything his hair went back to, you know, the classic formation, but now he's wearing like crazy blue bomber jackets and like running shoes and he's playing all new guitars. And it just sounds... It's a bit of a transformation. It sounds and looks like he is having a great time. And it comes through on this album in a big way, I think. And uh, and it's translated into the most vibrant album that he's made since The White Stripes, I think. Uh, or certainly, certainly, in my opinion, the most vibrant. Vibrant is a good way to put it. He's just... He's, you know... It's so expressive and... It's so colorful and it's so fun in so many ways, like the White Stripes was, with far fewer moving parts, of course. Yeah. But I just found that a super interesting thing uh, to pick up on. Respect Commander. Um, I just wrote down respect women juice. Yes, that's what those are the memes I'm talking about. That's uh, yeah, I know. That's pretty much all I got for that. Yeah. Uh, and then after after Respect Commander, which is an okay song, but it, I find it kind of weird, repetitive. It was just it was just weird. Uh, I did think that the album falls off a little bit in the last few tracks, with the exception of Getting the Mind Shaft. That's, and I, it is a good song. And I wrote down in block capitals, Roll Over Jamiroquai. Because you said it does the Jamiroquai thing. I say it does it better. In a true. lot of ways, I think it does it better. Because it, Jack's got this interesting approach to the whole um, sampling and electronic thing. And it's very much that Jack White grungy bluesy kind of vibe that isn't normally sprinkled on electronic music with electronic music normally the people making it are freaks about uh, getting clean sounds and uh and crisp and crystal you know sounds uh i i think i think it's not a great album but it will definitely probably be an honorable mention uh, at the end of the year, um, it, it is somewhat of a gift basket with an orange here and a chocolate bar here, you know, and a bunch yeah. of, you know, loose leaf tea here. Um, and there were moments where I thought that it really did sound somewhat derivative. I think over and over and over sounds exactly like Cheap Rage Against the Machine. Like, exactly if he even sounds somewhat like uh what's the singer for rage against the machine I, like That's now really i'm just bad. picturing him and like time. hearing him but i can't I know. remember what his name is but he even sounds a little bit like uh, that guy <laughs> with the I big dreads i can't remember his name do you know the song you know how the do you do you agree with that you think that over and over and over sounds i didn't remarkably 
a little bit. And he's like, and he's just got the angry yelling of, you know, very, very, very Rage Against the Machine. And I was ironing and giving this album a really hard listen. You trashed the iron board. And Dad was, yeah, I did. I, I, you know, <laughs> that ironing board represents the man. The corporation. The man will not iron the wrinkles out of my soul. Um, but Dad was sitting behind me on his tablet, uh, blasting some sort of political thing. Yeah. And uh, I turned around to him and was like, does this sound exactly like Rage Against the Machine to you? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was like, oh, yeah, it really, it really does sound like... so." And yeah, no, I know it's not just me. It's my slightly, you know, not musically critical father. So is that it? That's that's it for me. So I guess, would you agree with this? Because this would be my statement about Boarding House Reach. It's got a thick crust, but underneath... <laughs> Subtle undertones of onions. <laughs> there's, there's a young fetus waiting to hatch. Here's what I was going to say. I feel like, as somebody who's completely on the outside looking in, it seems as though it's put Jack White in a good place where he's happy and excited to make music. And if it's not a massive success in its own right, I feel like it might set him up for something bigger a couple years down the road. I hope so. I hope he, I hope he kind of keeps this set up and refines it for the next album. Speaking of keeping this setup but refining it, next episode. Okay, so next episode, are we doing High Low and Hateful Eight? Do another sure. new album? Yeah, why okay. not? So next episode, we will be doing Hateful Eight as per who requested again? Harrison. Harrison. Harrison T. Owens. Owens. Thanks, Harrison. You're a, you're a beauty, dude. You requested Hateful Eight a couple weeks ago. I'm sorry we didn't review it for this episode. There were the one thing about the Hateful Eight. It is incredibly rude and inappropriate. And when you live in a household with a mother who is as as sensitive as our mother is, you just don't want to be blasting, you know, Sam Jackson monologues uh, in the household when she's, you know, doing a Chuck Swindoll devotional or whatever. Swear machine broken. Mm-hmm. So, yes, Harrison, thank you so much for... The uh, suggestion, you can give us a suggestion either via our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the good ship brothership, I believe, or you can send it to our very own email address, which is, uh, is it the good ship brothership at gmail.com? I think so. Just try sending it there. Just try it. So we'll be talking about The Hateful Eight, the Quentin Tarantino movie, and his, then... His latest movie, I think. And then additionally... Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago. There's this random guy I found on Instagram, I think, called Jack Stauber, who makes these really trippy, almost David Lynch, like They're Lynchian Lynch. Um, animated shorts. But additionally, he's also a musician, and he does like a lot of retro synthy weird stuff. He just put out an album. We are not familiar with him whatsoever. We're not super familiar with that type of music. A little bit, but it's not described much. described as avant pop. Which is fair. Um, I don't like it, but it's fair. <laughs> so we're going to be reviewing that, and I honestly have no idea what we'll think of it, so it should be interesting. Yeah. Jack Stauber, High Low, you can go listen to it. Yeah, uh, please the, do. Yeah. The Hateful Eight, you can go watch that. And, and if then... You, 
we'll reconvene and discuss our thoughts. And if you've seen Winter's Bone, if you've listened to Boarding House Reach, reach out to us. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. Reach out to us via either the Facebook page or the email address. And just give us a quick summary of what you thought of either of those two things. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Are you somewhere in between? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. We would love to start hearing from people on the stuff that we talk about so that we can kind of open up a discussion and you guys can tell us how wrong and stupid we are. Additionally, if you've made it this far and you don't really have anything to say, but you just want to let us know that you're there, you can email us or you can just message us on Facebook and message us the, the, the words. buttons of my waistcoat are silky smooth. Once again, that message is... The buttons of my waistcoat are silky smooth. Thank you for listening, everybody, and have a blessed week.